appreciate that. And uh, old hymn that I had never heard before, and uh, she was shocked I had never heard it. Now I've heard it, and it sounds very good, and uh, thankful for that, amen. Uh, very thankful. Obviously, it's a good time to remember uh, during the Christmas season. I'm thankful for the beauty of the manger scene, uh, but let's not forget even the imagery of the manger scene of him being wrapped in grave clothes, those swaddling clothes. The swaddling clothes are what they wrap dead bodies in. And uh, that's what they had available to wrap him in. And of course, the gifts that they brought of gold and frankincense and myrrh, that even symbolized his deity, but also his death. And uh, just the whole intention of why he came, known even from the day of his birth, and then at two years old when those gifts were brought, uh, was that he might die on the cross of Calvary for our sins. And just so very, very thankful for that. Born to die upon Calvary. Amen. Very, very good. Amen. Well, let's uh, take our Bibles here this morning and go to Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. Here, uh, probably in a week or so, maybe next week, maybe the, for sure the week after, uh, but we'll be um, preaching probably some Christmas messages coming up. But I uh, wanted to continue in our series uh, here in the book of Ecclesiastes uh, this morning. And uh, trusting it'll be a help and a blessing. Uh, this is one of those messages uh, that I feel like is just timely, and it's one that just can be a help, um, I, I believe, to a lot of people. And so I trust that's the case. I've, I feel that way a lot of times. It's funny how you get into a series and you don't know where you're going to be weeks down, and then it's like God just meets the message for the time that it's needed. Uh, and you don't have to try to contrive or force or manipulate in order to try to meet the needs. God just knows in His Word uh, what we need, uh, sometimes when we don't even know what we need. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to this this morning. I believe it will be a help uh, and a blessing to us uh, here this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you found your place there and you're able to, let's stand uh, to honor the reading of God's Word. Ecclesiastes and chapter number 3. So let's continue this uh, journey under the sun, as we've entitled it, to the world and back again. Ecclesiastes chapter number 3 and verse number 16. And we're going to read it down to the end of the chapter. It says this, And moreover I saw under the sun the place of judgment, that wickedness was there, and the place of righteousness, that iniquity was there. You ever feel that way about our uh, uh, legal system in America sometimes today? I think some things are backwards here. I got some things mixed up. Well, Solomon thought the same thing in his day. He said in verse number 17, I said in mine heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in mine heart concerning the estate of the sons of men, that God might manifest them and that they might see that they themselves are beasts. For that which befalleth the sons of men befalleth beast. Even one thing befalleth them, as the one dieth, so dieth the other. Yea, they have all one breath, so that a man hath no preeminence above the beast, for all is vanity. All go unto one place. All are of the dust, and all turn to dust again. Who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of the beast that goeth downward to the earth? Wherefore, I perceive that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his portion, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? 
So entitled the, uh, the message here this morning, The Vanity of Judgment, or probably more accurately to the point, The Vanity of Present Judgment. The Vanity of Present Judgment. So may God bless the reader's word. You can be seated. Uh, thank you as always for standing in honor of the scriptures uh, here this morning. Human judgment is flawed at best. Sometimes it's very flawed. Uh, have you ever been falsely judged by somebody else? So maybe give a few illustrations here. <clears throat> I'll start with myself. That's a good one. Um, so when I was in college, I was dating the most gorgeous girl on campus, drop dead beautiful, and yes, she is my wife now, okay? good with that, right? So we um, actually, pretty much from the time she was a senior in high school, I was a freshman in college, I think we pretty well knew we wanted to get married. Um, it was just kind of working through the timetable that her father had put on us. Uh, so we weren't allowed to date actually until I was a junior in college. Date, right? We weren't actually allowed to do that. Uh, but when we started dating, um, a college life, of course, was busy. My junior year was definitely my hardest year of college. I uh, had a very heavy load. I think I was taking 20 hours uh, that first semester. Um, it's some of the most important classes, um, homiletics, which is where you learn how to preach, some practical ministry classes. There were some of the most important classes of Bible college. Uh, I had also become a head RA. So that was the first year I was actually in charge of a whole dormitory of about 80 guys. I was responsible for them not killing themselves, you know. Um, I also was working for the school uh, on campus, uh, kind of doing stuff at the bookstore, but also showing students around that were prospective students and involved kind of in that. And I was uh, dating a, a girl. It was kind of a new thing for me with that, of us kind of having some more freedom from her parents, where before there was very restricted. Uh, and now we were kind of learning this thing of what dating looked like. I was driving a bus for the, school, for the church. Just a lot of things were going on. And it had gotten to the point where I was just overwhelmed. Uh, just too much was going on in my life. And I felt like in my spiritual life, I felt like I was not where I needed to be with the Lord. You ever been there before? Just life gets busy and you feel like, man, I'm not praying. I'm not in the scriptures like I need to. And I just need to push everything aside and just spend some time with the Lord. I need some one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus, you know. And so knowing that, and that was my heart, that was the intention of what I had in mind, I sat down with my then girlfriend, which is now my wife, so this worked out okay in the end, but at the time it was awful. And we sat down, and I was not prepared to talk about the, the situation that I was going to talk about, nor did I have the time to talk about it, but me being my ignorant self, I did it anyways. So the conversation I was wanting to bring up was this, hey, for a week, I need some time to spend with the Lord. This is how it came out. We need to take a break. Before I had opportunity to further explain my misstep in conversation, we had to go our separate ways to go to our next classes and then work and then and then and then and then, right? My phone calls were ignored. I learned the next day from her roommate, I had given her a stuffed uh, elephant as a gift that she had on her bed. And that night, she, that stuffed element got thrown at the end of the bed and slept at the end of the bed. 
as part of my penance for my stupidity that I had done. And so her roommate said, I don't know what you did, but it's bad. It's bad. And so obviously we then got to talk and communicate and clarify some things. And I had done wrong in addressing something that I wasn't prepared to address and I had done it in such a way uh, where we didn't have time to have follow-up conversation about it. My fault, right? But honestly, that night I felt this. I'm innocent in this. I said the wrong thing, but it's not what I meant. And she's not giving me an opportunity to fix the situation. And I felt incorrectly judged. I felt like I was being judged for something that I hadn't felt like I hadn't done wrong, right? Maybe in your life you've had a similar situation. Uh, maybe it is between a, you and your spouse. There's been an instance where you said something and they took it the wrong way and then you felt like you were being wrongly judged for something you didn't do, Amen. right? Maybe that's happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe it is at your workplace. You felt like you did what your boss wanted you to do and he says, no, that's not what I wanted you to do at all. And you said, but that's what you told me to do. And then there's this judgment there, right? And Come on, this scenario can play out over and over and over again of misjudgments. Uh, there's a story I read in a commentary one time of a, uh, a man who was on the subway. And they got on the subway and his children were running amok and just knocking people's newspapers out of their hands and just acting like hooligans. And people on the subway, you know, were kind of looking at this guy starting to get angry, like, dude, take care of your kids. What's going on here? And the man's just sitting there, just not doing anything, just sitting there. And so everybody's getting frustrated. And finally, this one lady full of it and just done with it, she comes up to the man and she goes, uh, sir, you need to take care of your children. They're kind of running amok here on the subway. And of course, the man looks up just kind of in a dazed look and he goes, oh, I'm sorry. I guess I didn't notice. We just left the hospital where my wife died, and I don't know how to handle it, and I guess they don't either. Now, misjudged, right? Circumstance went from anger to sympathy really fast, right? Now listen, we can be the guilty party of judging someone else, and we've been on the receiving end of being judged. Maybe when we feel this isn't a just way of being judged. Now that can be in relationships, but it also can be with the law. You ever been pulled over before and you're like, well, that wasn't very nice. <laughs> right? that, that wasn't fair. What, what he says is not what I think. And there's a, a misstep there. We already mentioned it, but in our judicial system even today, sometimes it feels like, what is going on here? Like some people who should receive a much steeper penalty get a slap on the wrist. And other people you think, why are they being locked up for forever and ever? And it seems like they didn't really do anything that egregious. And sometimes we can step back. We'll just say this. In this world, if we're looking for perfect equity and judgment, we won't find it. This world is full of imperfect people who make imperfect judgment calls on a daily basis. We're guilty of it and we're the recipients of it as well, where we have made bad judgment. Now Solomon recognizes this, and in disparity he says this, it's vanity, judgment is vanity. But in his recognition of judgment under the sun, he also sees another perfect judgment that happens after death, that he says that is of a far more excellent quality, it is perfect judgment. 
And so I'd like to, to contrast, as we have been, this journey under the sun, and then, as we've coined it, the journey under the S-O-N, journey under the Son of God, and the differences between those two. Now, understand again, vanity, assuming that there's something there, promising substance, but there's, there's no value to it. And Solomon takes a journey for us so that we don't have to, right? It's better to learn from someone else's mistakes than to make them yourself. That's a, a good thing, especially for those of us that are, are young'uns, you teenagers and people in your 20s and 30s. Learn from the mistakes of people that are older than you because you don't have to make them yourself, Amen. right? And, and aren't you thankful for a book like Ecclesiastes that is a, a total downer of a book to read, it's like everything's awful, everything's terrible, everything's... And well, the reason everything was awful and terrible is because Solomon tried everything away from God, under the sun, life lived in this world, for this world, and what was the conclusion? Vanity, emptiness, vexation of soul, trying to receive it, but never actually attaining it. And so Solomon uses all of his wisdom and his wealth and, and his energies and his position to take a journey and try all these things. And the conclusion is this, it's all worthless. So fear God and keep his commandments. So now there's this next step, this sixth step on the journey, which is that of judgment, this world and judgment and it not being all that it should be. <clears throat> now, Solomon over the last uh, few weeks as we've been in this has paid very close attention to this life death, and time on this earth. Those have been some key aspects of stuff that have happened within this last few weeks. He began when he started to despair even of life. He started saying, I wish I were dead. We called him this, the suicidal preacher. Solomon was just done with it, and he realized this, life has no purpose. It feels totally without purpose when it is life under the sun. He saw that his labor, no matter how good, would go to another and it eventually would be dispersed upon his death. So he saw that there was vanity in heaping up like a dragon some great wealth because he said eventually it's just going to go to a bunch of stuff that I have no control over. He observed that everything has a time and a season, even death. And these events are completely out of our control, which was this. Solomon understood there's some things he could control but there was a lot of things that were just out of his control. So why should he be full of anxiety and worry and stress about those things? So we've been on this kind of subject for a while. So he's now going to turn his attention to death in regard to judgment and rewards. Okay, so that's where he's going with this. Now, human judgment is flawed at best, as we've already talked about. He talks about that in verse number 16 there. So Solomon states that the judicial system of the world is unjust and unholy. Solomon's, that's his viewpoint on it in verse 16. He says, when he looked under the sun where the place of judgment happened, where there was judgment calls being made, decisions being made of, of guilty and not guilty, righteous and unrighteous, he said this is just not fair, it's not equitable, and where there's wickedness, there's righteousness, and where there's righteousness, there's wickedness, and it's all mixed up and it's not what it ought to be. So he gives, of course, kind of a couple examples even in this. He talks about the legal court of justice was wicked, that uh, in the judicial setting, as we've already talked about, the court system, he said people that should be guilty were being called innocent, and people that should have been innocent were being called guilty. 
Now listen, as we already pointed this out, that still happens today. Okay, as perfect of a legal system as we would hope to have, there is still a flawed legal system. Why? Because humans are involved, right? So we understand that still happens. But then he points out another one. The priestly tabernacle of righteousness was also full of iniquity. Uh, people that were supposed to be in religious authority, he looked at them and said this, there are far too many people who are supposed to be spiritual leaders who instead abuse that position for power and fame, and it's unjust that they do that. Now, again, a man of Israel here, can we look back at Israel's history and see times where priests and those who were leadership in the, in the Levitical tribe that were running the temple, where they abused that power and used it for nefarious things? Amen. Yeah, there's, I mean, Hophna and Phinehas is probably the biggest one. That people that are bringing their sacrifices to the door, they were stealing them, and then they were committing adultery with the women. I mean, just awful stuff, abusing that position. Well, again, just as we had before, does that happen today? Are there people that claim to be religious authorities who abuse that power and are, it seems like there's no judgment there a lot of times? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you have any questions about that, turn on a religious station this afternoon and you'll find some guy on there who's an absolute charlatan who is fleecing people of their money. I mean, just absolutely abusing the position that should be used for God's glory. So we understand this, though, in verse number 17, that God's judgment, in contrast to judgment in this world under the sun, God's judgment is absolutely perfect. Now, Solomon states that there is a time for this judgment. Now, we can be assured from other passages of Scripture that the time for perfect judgment doesn't happen in this life. Now, uh, uh, hopefully this will be a comforting thought to you here. Maybe you'll say, you know what, I I've been misjudged. I have, I've been mischaracterized. I I I've been falsely accused. And maybe you say some of these events have happened in my life and I feel like there's no equity in judgment here. Well, Solomon agrees with you. And I think anybody with two eyeballs would say this. They agree with you that here on this earth, although there are times where judgment is equitable and right, many times it's not. Whether that's from one person to another, or from a legal system, or from a religious standpoint. Maybe you've been church hurt before. Church did you dirty, right? Why? Because we live in a broken and fallen world, and sometimes the judgment that should happen here is not equitable and fair. But understand this, when this life is over, there is coming a day and a time where there is perfect and equitable judgment. Amen. One day, every person, small and great, the Bible says, rich and poor of every ethnicity will stand before God and give an account. There will be perfect judgment one day in heaven. Uh, let me, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to quote these scriptures. I will totally botch it. But let me give you a couple of verses on this here. 2 Timothy 4, 8 says this, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. 1 Peter 4, 5 says this, Who shall give an account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead? Now listen, we, we could give all kinds of scripture about this, but understand this. There's a few things about God's judgment. Now, uh, let me point this out also. There's two judgments after life. One is for the unsaved. It's called the great white throne judgment. If you be saved, you're not under that. Bad grammar, but it's true. Okay. 
which is this. Uh, great white throne judgment is where you will be judged based according to your works, whether you're going to get into heaven or not. Spoiler alert. Nobody gets into heaven based on their works. Nobody's good enough to get to heaven based on their good works. And there are going to be people who stand before the Lord one day and say, Well, Lord, Lord, have we not done many great works in thy name? And he's going to say, Depart from me, I never knew you. Now listen, that at the great white throne judgment is that final judgment where all those who die in their sin will be cast not in hell but into the lake of fire where they will be judged for all of eternity. Now... If you're saved here this morning, what I want to try to emphasize this morning is this other judgment, which is for Christians, which is called the Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ. Now, this Bema Seat or the Judgment Seat of Christ is where we will give an account for the works that we've done as believers, not in order to get into heaven, but in order to receive reward in heaven. Now, according to 1 Corinthians 3, there are those who will stand before God one day and will have absolute total loss. Which means this, there are people who are saved, but they're doing nothing for God with their life. And one day they will give an account before the Lord and every bit of their life's work is going to be burnt up in front of them. And there's nothing left but a pile of ashes and they're going to stand there empty handed before God. They get into heaven, yet so as by fire is what the Bible says. But there are those who will receive great reward, who lived not for this life, but lived for God's kingdom. And everything about their life was uh, uh, geared towards and driven by not life under the sun, but life for the son of God. Amen. And he says for them, they will receive great reward. There's that crown of righteousness and other rewards that are talked about in the scripture. Now, listen, that judgment, we understand that we will stand before God and give an account one day. Now, there's some important things that we could point out here in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and plenty of other scriptures in the New Testament, which is simply this. That judgment will not be performed by your peers. You know what's really comforting about that? Is your peers don't make good judgment. Amen. So I'm thankful they're not the one making the judgment. Isn't that what Solomon talks about? He says, on this world, there's inequitable judgment. But one day there will come perfect judgment. Why? Because that judgment isn't by a group of your peers, a jury of your peers. It's by him whose eyes burn with fire. He who is holy and perfect, the everlasting God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. When you start reading about the perfection and the beauty and the holiness of our God, and then picture yourself standing before him one day, it's going to create one of two reactions. Fear or excitement. Amen. Now listen, unfortunately, I think there are some Christians who think about that day with fear because they know what the result is. Their life has been lived selfishly. And maybe it is that on this earth, the judgment of an imperfect system has said this. Good job. You're doing awesome. Keep it up. God will be pleased one day. But in your heart of hearts, you know the reality. You know the truth. This imperfect judgment system is imperfect. But one day you'll stand before the God of gods, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and give an account not to your peers, but to God. 
for your emotions, for your attitude, for your actions, for the things you did, for the things you didn't do that you should have done. You'll give an account before God. And I think there maybe are some here this morning that think about that day with great fear because you've spent your whole life in pursuit of all the stuff on this earth instead of in pursuit of that life. You might have a fat 401k, but your bank account in heaven is dry and empty. You spent your whole life building a net worth here for this temporal world that will last a short time and for all of eternity you're bankrupt. But I think there are those also, and this is really what I want to kind of focus on, the exciting part of this. I think there are those who look forward to that day with excitement. Paul said this, I've run my race. I've finished my course. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I'm ready. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. Why? Because there came a day in Paul's life where he moved the things from the lost column to the gain column and the gain column to the lost column. Right? We, we read about that in the Galatians where he's just he's shifting things around. And he understood this. Listen, there are some things in this life that aren't worth fighting and living for, but there are some things in that life that are absolutely worth dying for. Amen. And he started pursuit of his entire life, building up, if you say this, his wealth in the kingdom of God. And Paul was excited upon his death to say this, I have done what God called me to do. When God said do it, I did it. When God said refrain, I refrained. And I have tried my best to live my life for God. And I am excited to stand before Him in the judgment and to have reward. I'm looking forward to it. So I would say here this morning, I think there are believers right here in this room who think the same way about it. Heaven truly is sounding sweeter every day. You're looking forward to that day when you're able to go to glory and be with God. And you say this, there's been self-sacrifice and there's been times where I didn't have everything I wanted on this earth, but I've been laying up treasures in heaven. As Jesus said, where your treasure is, there where your heart be also. Your heart is set on that heavenly place. Your affection is set there on God in heaven and looking forward to the life to come. This earth is just a temporal passing through. You're just a pilgrim. You understand? I don't care if I got a big house or a fat bank account. I want to do right with what God's given me, but I want to get to glory understanding this. I did what I was supposed to do for God and stand before Him in that judgment. Now listen, Solomon is understanding this. There is a judgment and it comes after death. Those few verses there, uh, which I'm not really going to dig into them real in depth, verses 18, 19, 20, right in there, he talks about animals. And he talks about this, uh, there's no difference between animals and humans. Now, understand what Solomon's saying, because the rest of the Bible says there's a big difference. But one thing that is the same about us and animals is this, we're all going to die. Isn't Solomon so encouraging on a Sunday morning, Right is understanding this, one thing is certain is just like animals live and then die, humans will live and then they'll die, and then the end result eventually is this, dust. We are made from the dirt, we'll return to the dirt. And so without, again, getting in all the weeds of what Solomon is talking about there, I encourage you to study those verses, but basically Solomon is saying this, as the animals are, so we're going to be in this thing called death. One day death is going to come upon each and every one of us. So then in verse number 21, I think this verse takes maybe a little bit of explaining. It takes a little bit of us to, to understand exactly what he's talking about here. So there's little spoken of in the afterlife in the Old Testament in general. This is one of the reasons why I think the Sadducees came about in the New Testament. Again, if you can't remember who the Sadducees are, they are sad, you see. 
because they don't believe in heaven, they don't believe in hell, they don't believe in angels, they don't believe in demons, they don't believe in a spiritual being or life. They're just, they're just sad because they don't believe in any of that stuff. Now, I think a lot of that came from is because the Old Testament is pretty, if you read through the scriptures, the Old Testament doesn't talk a lot about those things. It's not real in-depth where the New Testament would be on some of those aspects. Now, the tone of our, our passage of Scripture here, in verse number 21, he says this, "...who knoweth the spirit of man that goeth upward, and the spirit of beast that goeth downward to the earth?" Now, this is not a statement, it's a question. Solomon's saying this, "...who knows?" Now, again, I, I'm not trying to read into the text something that he's saying here, but we say this, there are people in the Old Testament that are very firm on this idea of their soul and their spirit and the destination after they die. Solomon here, on his journey under the sun, he simply is here saying this, I don't really know what the end result of this whole thing is going to be, but I do know this, God's in control of final judgment. Now, under, again, remember the context of our verses that we're dealing with. Solomon's whole point in saying this is simply saying this, like animals, we're all going to die. And who's going to determine whether we go up or we go down or what all is going to happen? It rests in the hands of God. Solomon's whole point in pointing this out is simply saying this, man's judgment is flawed, but God's judgment is absolutely perfect, even in death. He points that out. So verse number 22, he gives the conclusion of this imminent death and judgment. He would say this, for who shall bring him to see what shall be after him? Who knows what God's judgment has got in store? You know, here, here's a, a, maybe a comforting thought is this is we don't get to judge ourselves. Sometimes we're harder on ourselves than we should be, or sometimes we're a little bit more favorable to ourselves than we should be. But just like we're not going to be judged by our peers, we will not be judged by ourselves. Your work will determine how the judgment will go before God, and God is the one that does it. So here's what Solomon then says in verse number 22. Do the work. Do what God's called you to do. Live the life that God has laid before you. Do the will of God for your life. Life for God in this life. Why? So that there is reward when perfect judgment comes. Now listen, just again, word of encouragement here this morning is this. This world has an absolutely messed up system. And you might have lived your life and you've done good and you've stayed away from evil and you've tried to do what God's called you to do and you simply say this, it's not Fair. You ever feel that way? My neighbor lives like a heathen, and God keeps blessing him. And I'm trying to live for God. And I've got this sickness, and I've got this problem, and I've got this financial issue, and it's just not fair. Why? Well, this earth is not fair. The judgment of this earth isn't right. Sometimes people that do righteous and good things don't receive righteous judgment. And sometimes people who do downright dirty and evil things get away with it. But I'll say this, God keeps good books. Amen. And there is coming a day of reckoning where I'll say this, every injustice will be dealt with. Every wrong will be righted. And every righteous act that seems overlooked in this life will be rewarded. One day, the perfect judge will make perfect accounting of your balance and he will make all things good. And there are those who may seem poor in this earth, but they are righteous before God. And we're not talking about their standing, whether they're getting into heaven or not. We're talking about reward at that judgment seat of Christ. And listen, not everyone on that day gets to hear, well done, now good and faithful servant. I think that's a misnomer in the Christian world that everyone's going to get up there and God's just going to go, you did an awesome job. 
I tell you right now, I know enough Christians to know this. Not everybody's doing an awesome job. Actually, I would say this. In America, Christianity today, probably the majority of people are living for this world, not for heaven. Their citizenship, in their eyes, is here, not there. And it's reflected in all the investments they make with their time, talent, and treasure. So here's Solomon's whole point is this. He says it there in verse number 22, and he says this. Do the work. Work for God. There's nothing better for man to do than live this life for that life. To live for the glory and majesty of God. So here's the encouragement right now. One day you will stand before God. Not your spouse, not your kids, not your parent, not that person that did you dirty, not your boss, not that person that you feel like is holding you down. You. You say, well, I was dealt a bad hand of cards. Well, it's the hand of cards that God dealt you. So play it the way He wants you to play it. Yes. God didn't call you to live someone else's life. He called you to live your life. So live it for the glory of God. Use the talent and the time and the treasure that God has given you right now for His kingdom. Maybe you're older in life and you say, but I've wasted. Well, you're still breathing, aren't you? You might have wasted all those years and Paul lamented the years that he wasted before he got saved. But I'm telling you, he used the time he had with great value, didn't he? So use the time you have for value for the kingdom. May it be a moment this morning when you say this. There might be bad judgment calls, but God never will make one. And regardless of how it washes out in this world, I'm going to be truthful. I'm going to be equitable. I'm going to be righteous. Why? Because one day I'm going to stand before God. My boss might not know. My spouse might not know. Somebody at church might not know, but God knows. And so I'm going to live for Him. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning. Father, I do pray that you'll bless now this morning.